Hello, I'm Mallory Rubin. And I'm Van Lathan. Check out the Ringerverse podcast from The Ringer for all things superhero movies, nerd culture, and fandom entertainment. We have instant reviews and fun takes on all the latest news and more available now on Spotify. It's New York, New York, presented by FanDuel. Take a shot at betting the NBA with FanDuel, America's number one sports book. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Parlay Hub, filter by odds, sport, and bet type to easily find the most popular parlays and same-game parlays all on one page. Plus, start betting on the Explore page and the Pulse and bet live same-game parlays for every NBA game. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 100 Gambler or visit rg-help.com. This episode is brought to you by cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. Welcome in Monday edition, last Monday in August, right here on New York, New York, with yours truly, J.J. Johnsy-Stremski on the Ringer Podcast Network. Good to be back on the East Coast. I am a little jet-lagged. I may be a little fatigued. I thought maybe that California chill, cool vibe was going to rub off on me, kicking off the week. Kicking off a Monday podcast could have been more wrong. And you can thank the New York Mets for that. And you can thank Javier Baez for that. And it's kind of amazing that on a day in which the Mets win a game, they win a series, they are going to be the butt of all jokes. They are going to be public enemy number one amongst Mets fans throughout the tri-state area. Because what I saw on the baseball field today, backed up by the actions more specifically that I heard after the game, absolute embarrassment. Despicable. The idea that there are guys on this Met team when the Mets were four, five, six, seven up on the Atlanta Braves and the Philadelphia Phillies, they're going to have the audacity to take on the fans and think they're going to win that battle and think that they should be treated as sympathetic figures, get out of here. Get serious. That is the ultimate slap in the face. I'm a fan. I'm like, screw you. Screw you. Francisco Lindor, who did nothing all year. He's one of the ringleaders. Get out of here. And Baez, they just brought Baez to this team. Listen to this soundbite, because I was trying to figure it out, quite frankly. Had to make game on. I was in a little bit of a malaise. They're, all right, scoring some runs, beating up the Washington Nationals. Wonderful. But they're all doing the thumbs down. Like the Yankees did 
couple of years ago. The whole Todd Frazier, the guy with the beard at City Field, was a Met fan, didn't like it. Okay. So you want to hear the logic and the rationale from Javi Baez for why the thumbs were down and why all of a sudden they wanted to take on a fence? Listen for yourself. We're not we're not machines. We're gonna struggle, you know. We're gonna we're gonna we're gonna struggle seven times out of out of ten. And and you know, it just it just feels bad when when, when we strike out when I strike out and I get boo. You know, it doesn't really get to me, but like I want I want to let them know that when we success, we're gonna do the same thing to to know how to to let them know how, how it feels, you know, because if we win together then we we gotta lose together, you know, and, and, and the fans are really a big part of it. So um in my case, they they gotta be better. You know, I I play for the fans and I love the fans, but you know, if if they're gonna do that, they, they just put more pressures on the team and, and that's not that's not what we want. So are, is that a thumbs down to fans then? Yeah, yeah. I mean, to let them know that that when we when we don't get success, we're gonna get booed. So we they're gonna get booed when, when we when we success. And uh, 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 is that something you came up with? Because I've noticed it sort of caught on with a lot of players, but it, I, you were the first person I noticed doing that. Yeah, I mean, it was it was my opinion, you know, and then. It's just how I feel, you know. Like, like I say, I, I love the fans, and I, I like I, I like playing for the fans. But we can't have our fans against us. Javi Baez, I'm not a Met fan. I am going to speak on behalf of the Met fans who are listening to New York, New York. Screw you. Get the hell out of town. Go to Chicago. Take your lackadaisical, laissez-faire attitude and go play somewhere else. That is. The coup de gras. Not that I want Javi Baez on this team anyway, because I thought Chris Bryant was a much better fit. Goodbye and good riddance. You're taking on the fans of New York City? You've been here three weeks? Are you serious? Give me a break. The idea that guys on this team, with the way they have played all year, the way they have yucked up a division, they honestly think it's a good idea? To start taking on the fans? Get serious. And I'll tell you what would bother me too. Guys on Twitter chirping that the media is out to get them. Guys, the media ain't out to get you. You guys started this. This was not some media creation. You started it. You were asked about it. You put your words in motion to describe your actions. Mind-blowing. And I'd be worried about Lindor. Oh, I'd be worried about Lindor. Because we know Baez and Lindor are all buddy-buddy. Lindor hopped right on board. Thumbs down. You got Francisco Lindor on his team for nine, ten more years. You're supposed to be the face of the New York franchise? It is New York City, Francisco. I got news for you. You're making a lot of money. You're making more money than uh, many, money, many, many, many more are ever going to make in a lifetime. And you think the fan base is going to take it easy on you when you're making 30 plus million dollars a year and you're stinking up the joint and you're missing time to boot? Nobody's going to want to hear that. This Met team has been way too sensitive all year and good for Sandy Alderson. This got to the point where Sandy Alderson, I don't know if this came from Steve Cohen. I don't know if this came from 
the front office, whoever. The statement from Sandy Alderson was honestly exactly what I needed to hear after these clown statements by the team. I'll read it for you. In a post-game press conference today, Javi Baez stated that his thumbs-down gesture during the game was a message to fans who recently have booed him and other players for poor performance. These comments and any gestures by him and other players with a similar intent are totally unacceptable and will not be tolerated. Mets fans are understandably frustrated. Hear that, Javi? Understandably frustrated over the team's recent performance. The players and organization are equally frustrated, but fans at City Field have every right to express their own disappointment. Booing is every fan's right. The Mets will not tolerate any player gesture that is unprofessional in its meeting or directed in a negative way towards our fans. I will be meeting with our players and staff to convey this message directly. Met fans are loyal, passionate, knowledgeable, and more than willing to express themselves. We love them for every one of these qualities. Anybody taking a side on Javi Baez, Francisco Lindor, Pilar, and any of these knuckleheads who thought this was a good idea, they don't know a damn thing about playing in New York City and representing this town. You think you're going to win that battle? How stupid can you be? Honest question. How stupid can you be? If I am the owner, I am outraged by this. He is this diehard Met fan. He is supposed to be the voice of the Met fan. Where is Steve Cohen on Twitter? Something like this goes down. Where is the Met owner? I could use a tweet right about now. That happened with my team, and I owned it, and I had to hear that afterwards. They'd be hell to pay. So on a day where the Mets actually win a game, score runs and win a series, that will not be the headline. That will not be the talking point. And here's what would drive me even more insane. Forgot to mention this. So the Mets are doing this dopey thumbs down. We're all trying to figure out what it means. Where is your manager? Where is your leader? Where is the guy supposed to be leading the charge, basically saying, hey, guys, what in God's name is that? So Louis Rojas was asked after the game about what to make of this ridiculous and ludicrous thumbs down craze. Here you go. I didn't know that. That's what that's what he meant. I mean, we they've been, they've been doing uh, all, so, all sorts on. of salutes from the dugout to on the bases. So I didn't know there was any intention of uh, giving anything back to the fans. Uh, I think our job, once again, I'm going to say this, I think our job is to prepare and come out and play and give the, ber- the best be- uh, version of baseball that the fan base uh, needs, right? We prepare uh, every day as a team, as a family. We 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 want to win uh, for the organization. We want to win for ourselves. We want to win for um, our front office, our owner, and we want to win for for our fan base. You know, so that's that's where our focus should be. You know, so you know, Habi, like I said, Habi probably learning this experience because this is new for him. That's where he's coming from with this. Um, you know, this is something that maybe other players go through when they come and play here and sometimes they hear, they hear some of the reactions. So, um, you know, it's something that and I think knowing having, I mean, he's, this kid is a really good player and he's a really good kid. So, you know, something that will be part of his learning experience here. What kind of bullshit is that? I mean, honestly, you have no idea what's going on. What kind of leader are you? How do you not get to the bottom of it when guys are chuckling and yucking it up throughout the dugout? You got to have a feel and a sense for your team. That's a bad look for Louis Rojas. It's an even worse look, though, for the players. 
the Baez's, the Lindors, the Pilar's. That's embarrassing. I'm even more down on Lindor than I am with Baez. Baez is not going to be on this team next year. So you know what? At the end of the day, who the hell cares about him? Lindor is here for nine to 10 more years. You're that sensitive? You're that beaten down by the fans already? Good luck. Because you know what? If it gets worse, it won't end well. Won't end well. And if the Mets could have a do-over, they're not giving Francisco Lindor $300 plus million. And I supported that contract. Couldn't have been more wrong. Because if they would have let this year play out, they could have cut that contract in half. Just saying. So, embarrassing weekend for the Mets. And it has nothing to do with the play on the field. It has everything to do with the nonsense and the shenanigans that I am hearing about and I'm seeing from a bunch of these guys. Talk about starting a weekend or a new week off with an absolute bang. That's starting off with an absolute bang. So you got all that going on. And then you have the Yankees who found a way to win 13 in a row. They got me that Baker's dozen. So I was happy. I actually got to send out that tweet Friday night in the land of Mickey. Unfortunately, the Yankees come back to earth a little bit and lose on Saturday and lose on Sunday to the Oakland A's. And let's spin the positive first and foremost. The Yankees won 13 games in a row. When you win 13 games in a row, you're allowed to have a couple of games where you don't swing the bats. They did not have great at bats on Saturday and Sunday. They had some sloppy instances in the field. You saw that with Anthony Rizzo, surprisingly, yesterday. On Sunday, it's Gio Rochella booting a ball that should have been a double play. Or how about Tyler Wade lollygagging a toss to DJ LeMayu, which cost the Yankees a run. That's the sort of stuff we have not seen from the New York Yankees when they've been winning a bunch of games. But I chalked these last two games up to a very desperate Oakland team in dire needs of wins, found a way to get it done. I'll tell you what would worry me, though. Green, again, in these big situations, I don't trust him. I'm sorry. I just don't. And I know the double or the play off the bat of Canna should have been made by Joey Gallo. Would have been a really, really nice catch, but it looked like he was in position to make the play. You can't give up a two-run home to Tony Kemp. And it seems like Tony Kemp has been a guy that has killed the Yankees Time after time after time. He's had a lot of big hits against the Bombers throughout 2021. But what did we talk about a week ago? The Yankees finding a way to go three and three over the course of this week. I would have signed on the dotted line. Well, the Yankees did a little better than that. They went four and two. They split a series against the Oakland A's in a place historically. They never seem to play well. They never play well in Oakland. So I'll live with a split. They swept the two games against the Atlanta Braves. Now find a way to go 2-1 and one against the Anaheim Angels. I'm excited to see the return of Corey Kluber. Long-awaited return of Corey Kluber and what kind of boost he can give the back end of the rotation. Montgomery, it's amazing. Montgomery has thrown the ball so well for the Yankees and has had nothing to show for it. The Yankees just never score runs when Jordan Montgomery pitches. And that'll scare me come playoff time. Maybe they'll make it up to him. In the month of October, if Montgomery's like your game one division series starter, maybe the Yankees go and give him an eight spot or a nine spot because he's owed that and then some over the course of this year. Montgomery has earned a playoff start. He's a gamer. He knows how to pitch with runners on base. He battles. I respect the hell out of him for that. But the other harsh reality for the Yankees, and I was thinking about this Saturday, they go on a 13-game winning streak where they're firing on all cylinders, where everything is going right. They gained absolutely no ground against the Tampa Bay Rays. Tampa Bay does not lose. 
And it helps for Tampa that they went, what, 18-1 and one against the Baltimore Orioles this year. The Yankees, they're like 9-5 and five against the Orioles. Not good enough. You want to win a division title, you got to beat up on the cellar dweller. The Yankees did not. This cost them two years ago, three years ago against the Red Sox. It's going to cost them again this year against Tampa Bay. I said it, even when the Yankees were flying high, they are not winning the American League East. The key for the remainder of this year, continue to play good baseball, be right going into the month of October, and have the game at Yankee Stadium and Garrett Cole on the mound. That's my priority between now and the end of September. Home wild card game, Garrett Cole on full rest, and I'll take my chances. Loaded show. We got Damian Woody going to join us. Cousin Sal. Simmons' old pal. Simmons has my old pal, Francesa, on the show. So I return the favor. I have Cousin Sal on the show. So, you know, a little tick for tack. We even Steven. Okay, belly boy? We even Steven. But we got those two great guys coming up. Tons of voicemails. I'm sure the Mets fan is going to be all up in arms. And if they're not, it will blow my mind after everything went, went on here with Javi Baez, Lindor, the thumbs down nonsense. We'll also have a little reaction to Daniel Jones. First time seeing him in the preseason. He looked okay. That giant offensive line, on the other hand, did not. Whole lot to do. Great Damian Woody. Our old pal. He's like the biggest Islander fan I know. Him and uh, the Nittany Lion. He's up next. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit JiffyLube.com. So we're a couple of weeks away from the start of the NFL season. I'm finalizing my over-unders. I just can't wait till this preseason comes to a close. And then week one will be upon us, which is like Christmas morning in more ways than one. To help us break it all down, this guy had a terrific career. Won a Super Bowl with the New England Patriots. Spent a couple of years with the New York Jets. Now you see him on ESPN rocking and rolling. Damian Woody. What's up, Big Wood? How we doing, bro? Man, I'm good, man. We're in the middle of the, the preseason training camp grind, ready for the regular season to get started. When you were a player, Damian, and you're going through this process, you're going through training camp, and I know training camp was a lot tougher then than it is right now, but did you start getting that itch immediately? Did you start getting the itch like middle August where you're saying to yourself, okay, it's go time. Let's rock and roll. Yeah, I think most most guys get that itch like like uh, towards the, you know, middle of July. You're like, all right, it's time for training camp to get started. You know, it's time to get back to work. You just want to make sure that you're in, you're in the best shape possible, knowing you got that conditioning test coming. And, and then, you know, get after it in training camp, man. That's what it's all about. As we get ready for this jet season, whole lot of anticipation, whole lot of excitement, because anytime you have a new coach and anytime you have a new quarterback, 
there's going to be that sort of energy that comes to the table. And I've noticed this with Robert Sala right out of the gate, Damien. He's got this sort of energy that kind of radiates throughout the team. Like, I know the Jets are in a tough division. I know they're going to finish in last place in the AFCs. Because, listen, Buffalo's outstanding. Miami's got talent. New England loaded up in free agency. But I just get the sense going into this year, you're going to get a much different look and you're going to get a much different feel with the Jets because of the head coach. Is that kind of the way you look at them going into this year? Absolutely. You know, after a couple of years of Adam Gase and, you know, just kind of his reclusiveness as far as, you know, a head coach is concerned, it's, it's the fan base, as far as the fan base is concerned, it's, it's so refreshing to have a guy like Robert Sala as the head coach who's, um, you know, who's a demonstrative type of guy, outgoing personality, um, just really encouraging, bringing about a positive vibe and hopefully start changing the culture. And we know what this, you know, the Jets know what this year is all about. It's about, you know, the quarterback in Zach Wilson, uh, developing him, developing the young talent on his roster. And then, uh, and I always say, I tell fans all the time, 2022 is the year for the Jets. That's the year when they're expected, in my opinion, to contend with all the other teams in the division for a playoff spot and beyond. What has been your takeaway watching Zach Wilson? I don't like to go nuts in these preseason games, Damian, but, you know, I want to see a confidence factor. I want to see some wow factors throughout the course of the regular season. You mentioned the idea of 2022 being able to compete. That means Wilson ascends, progresses week by week by week. But so far, so good from what you've seen? Yeah, man. Listen, you know, I know a lot of the narrative has been, oh, he's been playing against backups. Well, who hasn't been playing with backups? That's that's most people, you know, in this preseason playing against backups. And he has no control over that. But what he does have control over is how he goes about his business and, and performs on, on game day. And what we've seen from Zach Wilson has been, I mean, this dude has been on point. You know, he hasn't even really been showing, you know, the qualities that what made him kind of that 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 X factor guy, the guy that everyone talks about makes all these off platform throws and do all these these plays outside of uh, outside of structure. We haven't even really seen that. He's really been in the pocket doing exactly what was asked of him within the structure of the offense. And what more could you ask of? He hasn't committed a turnover. He hasn't been sacked. He scored a t- couple touchdowns. I mean, he's done exactly what you want out of your number two overall pick. Okay, Damian, you're talking to a diehard Miami Dolphins fan. I'm fired up about the season. I love my Brooklyn coach, Brian Flores, and the job he's done with the team over the first two years. But That's then you got the New England Patriots. And you know a thing or two about how they like to reload. I know Tom's not there anymore, but they spend a boatload of money in free agency. I'll acknowledge Buffalo is the team to beat in the division. Went to the AFC title game. McDermott is outstanding. Josh Allen's the real deal. Buffalo's really good. But out of Miami, New England, who do you think is the bigger challenger to the Buffalo Bills going into this season? Ooh, man, that's a good one. That's a really good one. I- I'm going to say... um, I'm going to get a slight edge to New England. And the only reason I'm going to do that is I think the head coach. I love B-Flow. B-Flow is, is my guy. B-Flow is a BC guy like I am. 
I think B. Flo is going to be one of the best head coaches in the league in short order. But I think, you know, you've got to give Bill his respect. Uh, they've reloaded up in New England on both sides of the ball. they got a lot of guys that opted out that's coming back, particularly on the defensive side of the football. Uh, they got question at quarterback, but I, I think the Patriots will be primed to get back into the postseason this year. Listen, it's not inconceivable to have three teams out of that division to, to make the postseason. That's how good the AFC East is, you know, this year. AFC East has been a punching bag for years, and you know this as well. But I think now when people look at the AFC East, they're thinking, boy, that division is tough now. It's a different world. And, you know, I was thinking about this because, Damien, you play with this guy, and it must, like, amaze you. Thinking about where he was his rookie year, now he's the greatest to ever do it. But as you're going through that 2001 season, and Drew Bledsoe's your quarterback. He goes down with the hit to Mo Lewis. In comes Tom Brady. You lived it, so I don't need to lecture you on this. There was like, you know, a point in time midway through that year where people, you know, the, the talking heads, the pundits, they were saying, but do you go back to Bledsoe? Is it Brady's team? I, I think we know how that worked out. And I think the rest, as they say in the business, is history. But you being a guy that lived that first year, that magic carpet ride with the Patriots, when was the moment for you where you're in the huddle and you're like, holy smokes, this is Tom Brady's team? I mean, it, literally, it was it was early on. See, people got to understand that 2001 team, we were led by our defense. Our defense was Fabulous. fantastic. Oh, yeah. And so we didn't ask Tom Brady to do anything, you know, outlandish. We were, you know, very defensive, you know, centric team. We had a good running game. We had Antoine Smith at the time. Kevin Falk, who was in my in my draft class, he was a, you know kind of the third down specialist back. But Tom, we we the team allowed Tom Brady to grow into that role. And so I think we, it, there wasn't a seminal moment, but it was each game we were piling putting bricks on top of one another, and his confidence just grew to the point where even when Drew Bledsoe got back. The team was all in on top. The team was all in. Everyone was playing well. We were starting to get on a roll. And so um, Tom just kind of grew into the role and never relented. This is a question I get a lot, Damien. And listen, obviously, in some cases, it's literally case-by-case basis. But when you're evaluating, you're judging a quarterback, and you're doing this now for a living, you're on ESPN watching these guys play the position, do you usually get a sense by the end of their second year, the end of their third year, or maybe even in their rookie year, if they have it or they don't. Like, when does it normally happen for you, Big Wood, where you're like, hey, guess what? This this quarterback has it or this quarterback, he ain't cutting it in the NFL. Well, I think, you know, I think now, you know, because of how I think these quarterbacks come to league more ready to play than ever before. And I think a lot of it has to go to go, you know, a lot of it has to go to the fact that these guys are doing these seven on seven, seven on seven camps and all these things as they're coming up in the ranks. So the NFL game, they're building offenses around these guys and what they've been doing all this time. And so for me, I look at it as probably year two, you know, after year two, I kind of have a good grip on, okay, this guy has it. This, this guy really has it. Now, there might be some, you know, some circumstances that you look at and you say, uh, you know, maybe you're wrong about that. Like Baker Mayfield. Baker Mayfield had, 
you know, just just a bad early early start. But it wasn't because of him; it was the organization. But once you know, once they got the stable coaching front office, now Baker Mayfield is starting to flourish as a quarterback in this league. But I think most times, I think after year two, you really start to get a feel for okay, this guy has it, in my opinion. It's that pivotal year for Daniel Jones. The Giants are in a very tough NFC East in the standpoint of it's wide open. Anybody can win it. You don't have a dominant team. There's no Tampa. There's no Kansas City. Dallas got a loaded offense. They don't got any defense. Washington, I think, is the most well-rounded team in the division. Uh, where are you on the Giants this year? I think they're probably a 7-8 win team. I don't love the line. I don't love the quarterback. I like the coach. I think they can make the postseason if things break right. But I'm betting against it. You see the Giants, Damien, as a playoff team? I don't. I don't right now. I don't like their offensive line. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm really um, skeptical about their offensive line. Um, I, they, they've done a heck of a job of improving the talent around Daniel Jones as far as the skill is concerned. But, man, in this league, if you can't win the battle up front, it doesn't matter what you have at the, at the running back spot wide receiver tight end, it just doesn't matter. So until the Giants show me that those guys can, you know, make that transition and and get the job up front, I'm just not there with the Giants right now. I give you Cleveland, Buffalo, Baltimore. Who's the biggest threat to Kansas City in the AFC this year? One of those teams. I'm going going Buffalo. I, I think that Sean McDermott and company up in Buffalo has just Man, they got they they have a monster that they're building up there, have an absolute monster. So, I think the Buffalo Bills, Josh Allen, to me is a superstar. Um, they have continuity, which is big in my opinion. So, I'm going with the Buffalo Bills. So, you play with Tom Brady, you saw him at the beginning. David, how stunned are you that he is still doing this thing? Isn't it crazy? It is, man. It, it just it, it defies all logic because he's not the you know he's not the fastest, he's not the most athletic, but man, he has done an incredible job of taking care of his body. He still has a lively arm, and listen, the guy's forty four years old. Like we always preach it in in football and just in sports, father time is undefeated. Well, I don't know what elixir kind of magic that he has going on. But he's beating the hell out of all the time right now. So, look, shout out to Tom. Play as long as you want. He's still one of the best quarterbacks in the league. It's crazy to think about. So when I think Damian Woody, do I think more Patriot? Do I think more Jet? It's weird, Damian, because I remember you winning the Super Bowl with the Patriots. Maybe it's because I'm a New Yorker and you were on those Rex teams that were in a couple of AFC title games. I don't know. I kind of think Damian Woody Jet. Is that fair? Yeah, I mean, most people kind of think of me as, you know, Jets now because, New, you, know, you know, my playing days with New England was, you know, so so long ago, even though that was the team I spent the most time with. But, you know, I always tell people, look, I love playing with the Jets organization. Uh, the organization did right by me and my family when we, when we were playing. Uh, the fan base has just been fantastic. And, hell, the, the last time the Jets were good, I was on the team. That's so crazy. People tend, to, people tend to gravitate towards that. Damian Woody, don't be a stranger, bro. And I expect you rocking the new house 
with the Islander jersey like you were throughout the postseason last year, bro. You were killing it. I saw you on that Jumbotron game six against the Lightning. You were getting the crowd into it, man. I loved it. Oh, man, listen. You know I'm going to be in there rocking the house. So, yeah, I will see you in the mix. Damian, great stuff, bro. We'll talk soon, okay? All right. All right. Take it easy. Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers? The Home Depot has an idea. Let Mom's Green Thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to bring out the most in her patios, walkways, and gardens. Right now, get Vigoro Potting Soil just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants, indoors and outside. Shop our wide selection online and pick up your order in-store and give Mom the gift of a beautiful garden. Get Vigoro Potting Soil just $8.97 at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. See homedepot.com slash delivery for details. So before we get to some voicemails, Damian Woody hit on something that's very key with this giant season. Are they going to be able to protect? And is this offensive line going to hold up against some terrific, stout pass rushers that they're going to see over the course of this year? And the Giants finally got Daniel Jones on the field. He plays his third preseason game. And it was a mixed bag for Daniel Jones. There was a whole lot of good, threw a touchdown, certainly was accurate in throwing the football. But two major causes for concern. One, the brain fart that continues to plague Daniel Jones. You saw it in the end zone. Inexplicable, inexcusable type of mistake that I've seen from Daniel Jones just far too many times over the course of his career. It's the sort of nonsense that absolutely needs to be cut out. So when I see that, yes, 17 and 22 for 135 is fantastic. Throwing a touchdown is really good. But those brain farts in the red zone, those brain farts when sometimes the best thing you can do is either take a sack and throw the football away. It's something he needs to learn and needs to learn in a hurry if he's going to make and take that next step and make the evolution as a quarterback. So that was a little bit alarming. The other thing that was alarming is that the giant offensive line was getting absolutely worked by the New England Patriot front. And I understand New England has some talent on that pass rush. They brought in Matthew Judon. They can rush Dante Hightower when they need to. They bring back Kyle Van Oy. So they got some dudes who can get after the quarterback. But I have not been in love with what I've seen with the giant offensive line so far in the preseason. And I think it is hands down the number one question of this team that needs to be addressed in a positive way if they're going to go and be a playoff team and win north of nine games. Are they going to get competent? I'm not even saying they have to get great offensive line play. They need to get competent offensive line play. And it's going to be tested early, right out of the gate. Von Miller, Bradley Chubb, waiting for you with the Denver Broncos. And Vic Fangio, who has one of the more complex defensive schemes that you're going to see in the NFL. That's what's awaiting Daniel Jones and the New York Giants. Are they ready for it? We shall see. A couple of days away. It's hard to believe, folks. September is right around the corner. Week one is right around the corner. Buckle up. Voicemail time. And in case you're wondering how to leave a voicemail to New York, New York, 917-382-1151. Let's lead off the festivities. Saruti, what do we got? JJ, my guy, man. How you doing? This is Hector Washington Heights. You already know, my brother. Haven't called you the while, JJ. This really has been much to talk about with this fucking team I root for. You know, this has been a, a total embarrassment for more than a month. I mean, we've spoken on that. And today I'm out there playing some baseball myself, enjoying myself. I missed the game. I knew the score. Okay, they won. Whoop the damn fucking dude. 
a two-game winning streak. Ha, 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 ha. And then I check Twitter. And the first thing I see is these comments by Javi Baez. Uh, he's, he's fucking kidding me, JJ. What do these fucking guys think this is? They want to be cheered for the way they, they've been playing? All season, this team has been hinting and, 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 and making little comments about the fans and the fans booing. First led by the door. Even Rojas made some silly comments about how the fans act and stuff. Like, do they think we want to boo? No, we don't. But their play has warranted us booing. I don't understand this team. And you know what pisses me off, JJ? That no one else in that team can stand up and say, no, we're not doing this bullshit. We're not doing this to our fans. This team has one of the most loyal fans that you will find out here. And this is how they want to treat us. We put up with all kinds of shit for years. And this dude who's been five minutes wants to come and thumb down us? Are you fucking kidding me? And people talk about the Yankees and how the way the Yankees are. That's why, as a, someone who hates the Yankees, I also admire the fact that when you come to the Yankees, you come into the Yankees and you are becoming part of the Yankees. You're not coming to come lead the team. And the team has to um, cater to you all the time like it is with the Mets, with all these players that come to the Mets. There's no kind of fucking leadership on this team. It's unbelievable. And then the leadership that they get is is, is these, these these two clowns. Friends and door not biased with this nonsense. Oh, my gosh. Let me know what you think about this. Well, I, mean, I mean, I know you're going to speak on it. I know you're going to speak on it. And I, I'm pretty Hector, sure you know me too well. And Hector is as diehard and as loyal a Mets fan as you're going to find. It takes a lot for a guy like Hector, who bleeds orange and blue, to basically spit fire and throw all sorts of shade at guys on his own team. But it's so justified. It's so well-deserved. And anybody who in their right mind is going to sit there and defend that sort of crap, they don't know a thing or two about how you got to approach and how you got to handle yourself if you're playing here in New York City. And Hector's so right. Where is somebody else on this team? When they're basically pulling this stunt with the thumbs down, where you say, well, what the blank is that? Where is the leadership from somebody within the team or the manager, for that matter, to say that enough is enough. That can't be tolerated. Good for Sandy Alderson coming out and saying something. Cannot be tolerated. Who's next? Hey, JJ. This is Jason. I live in the Boston area the last 10 years, but originally from New Rochelle. Lifelong Mets fan. Love the show. Wanted to call in about this, about the Mets and this nonsense thumbs down from Lindor, Baez, Pilar, and then they started pulling when they try to, when they get on base. They're calling it booing back at the fans because they feel they're booed too much. Is this some kind of joke? Do they realize? What, what market they're playing in? If, I mean, if losing 13 games in divisional standings in a six-week span doesn't warrant booing, then what does? This highlights something I do not think is emphasized enough with this Mets team, and it's their lack of hard-nosed leadership. Worse than the 220 average, Lindor does not seem to fill that role at all. Rather than cre- creating a pretending hitting coach or doing this thumbs-down nonsense, what about just buckling down, say the fan deserves better, and play some hard-nosed, focused baseball? I think in the offseason, this clubhouse can use some fresh, hard-nosed leadership, whether it be in the managerial position or on the roster. Just wanted to say one other thing, JJ. When this podcast came on last year, I was thrilled. Now living outside of New York, every time I turn you on, it really feels like home. It's authentic, insightful, entertaining stuff. Keep up the great work. We'd love to see you have Rasil on uh, around basketball season. All right, take care, JJ. Have a good night. Love the passion. You can't be that sensitive if you're playing in New York City. 
Baez is as good as gone. The idea, I saw a tweet from, I think it was Sarah Spain over at ESPN saying, oh, what, you New York people, what did you do to poor Javi? Give me a break with that. I mean, talk about being tone deaf. Talk about having absolutely no clue on what's going on with the situation. Sometimes you need to sit a play out. Some people need to learn that on Twitter. Sit a play out, for goodness sakes. I saw that tweet from her, and I wanted to, like, blow my brain out. I was like, you kidding me? Get a clue. I'd be more worried about Lindor, though, because he's going to be here. And the fact that he is right on board endorsing this sort of bullshit, that is beyond alarming. It's major, major, major concern for a guy supposed to be the face of the franchise. Who's next? Hey, JJ, this is Jace from the Bronx. Um, I am a, uh, a Met fan, and it's been a lot of highs and lows this season. Today, I was happy that the Mets won, but um, as a fan, I'm, I'm just kind of miffed at the players who chose to do these thumbs down uh, to the fans as a, you know, as a way to say, hey, this is our response to, you know, to you fans reacting to us. I'm not a fan that um, likes to boo. It's not my style. My way of reacting to a team that's not performing well is I don't show up. And I, it's in every fan's right to boo, to react. As long as you're not, you know, as long as it doesn't get, you know, inappropriate or anything like that, I'm okay with fans reacting this way. They have a right. And the players have a right to react this way as well. However, it's really fucking childish. You guys, you know, like I hate to sound like this, but you guys are fucking millionaires who are getting played to pay, to play a game. All right. And even I'm going to use this as a comparison because I don't even like the Yankees. Derek Jeter re- responded with class when he was reacting to the fans who were giving him shit when he was hitting 197. His reaction was, Hey, you know what? I would, I would do the same thing myself. He handled that with class. He's like, yeah, I've been playing like shit. Just, just admit it. That's it. Just say, hey, you know what? We fucking suck right now. We should be, we should be hitting a lot better than we, than we should. But no, they're going to act like fucking children, fucking sensitive ass children who are like, oh, you boo us. We're going to, we're going to clap at you or, or, or what's the like, or whatever they call it. Like it's, it's so frustrating seeing that shit. And then I was like, um, I'm not going to call for a suspension or whatever, but it's, it's stupid. And they should know that. All right. You two fucking children. All right. Grow up. All right. Hit some baseballs and people will not fucking react this way. All right. Thank you, JJ. I love the show. Well, Jason, I appreciate those kind words. Number one, number two, I, believe I was in Rusillo's neck of the woods a few days ago when I was hanging in Manhattan Beach. And let me tell you, I hang in Manhattan Beach. I'm running into Frank Vogel. I see Matt Leinard out on Saturday night. So I can see why Rusillo has made that home. So we have to work on that. So Rudy, you know, is a mutual friend of the two of us. So I'm sure we will work that out between now and the start of the NBA season. I I would put that in guarantee-esque type of form. And not Patrick Ewing S guarantees. So I appreciate that good stuff all the way around. Um, look, taking on the fans is never a battle you're going to win. And Baez, look, comes across as a total clown, 
comes across as a guy who doesn't get it, but he's not going to be here next year. Francisco Endor is locked in. This is his buddy. And he's hopping on board with this ludicrous, embarrassing, shameful sort of trend. Only the Mets could win two out of three this weekend and be the butt of all jokes going into the start of the week. After winning a series, means nothing. Not only because of where the Mets are at in the standings, not only because of the division lead like you just alluded to that they flushed down the toilet. Now you're going to take on your fan base and nobody's going to call you out with their management until we get a statement from Alderson around 9 o'clock. Yeah, Luis Rojas has got to be more proactive. No argument there. And yeah, I'd have serious doubts about whether I'd want Luis Rojas leading my team next season. That's just me. Who's next? JJ, Justin of Floral Park. We talked yesterday. Uh, you know, the bats again are going silent. I know it's two games, not going to go crazy, but you know, this, this is feeling like October baseball. And I've seen this movie way too many times where the Yankees do not hit in clutch situations, do not get that extra hit that they need. Um, I just don't know what's going on with that. And secondly, I told you a million times, I cannot stand Chad Green. This guy implodes every big spot, JJ. I'm telling you, get Herman back here ASAP, even Severino. I, I don't trust Green. Britain, Chapman, any of you guys in a big spot. I trust Loisica. Uh, I even trust Abreu. But Green is garbage. Later, bro. Justin, I understand the concern with Green. The amazing thing about Green is that if you look at his numbers, his numbers have been terrific. But he has the knack for giving up the big home run. That has been a major problem for him this year. It's been a problem for him in the past. And you have a lead in the eighth and the ninth inning. Do you feel overly confident with Chad Green in the ballgame? You do not. I almost like Green more in those middle relief type of roles. When you see him in the sixth inning, you see him in the seventh inning. He comes in tie game eighth inning. Yeah, it was a play that could have been made by Joey Gallo. But then Tony Kemp, who's developing a knack for being a pain in the neck for the Yankees. Pesky player. He's got a lot of Sean Figgins in him. You guys remember Sean Figgins with the Anaheim Angels? Versatile speedy, guy puts the ball in play, guy makes things happen. Tony Kemp has that sort of it factor to him. He's a terrific, terrific little player. I'm a big fan of his. And he's killed the Yankees. Yankee bats, I'm not going to go nuts. I understand your point on the boomer bust nature. They won 13 games in a row. They've been swinging incredibly hot bats. Sooner or later, that's going to even out. Yankees got to get off the mat, though, and have a good week. They got the Angels for three, and then they got the Orioles coming to town. And you saw what Tampa was able to do against the Orioles. 18-1 and one on the year against Baltimore. In many ways, that's the difference between the Yankees and the Rays when you talk about the American League East and why the Yankees, more than likely, will be playing in a one-game playoff. Who's next? JJ, Eric from Plainville. Wanted to uh, hear your thoughts on a, uh, you know, how the state of baseball is right now. Seems like we got you know almost half the league it's just almost non-competitive at this point. You got teams like Baltimore, Texas, all, all these teams, Colorado. They, they've been out of it for who knows how long by now. Wanted yeah. to know, you know, what your thoughts on that? You know, you see Tampa Bay going eighteen and one against Baltimore this year, and then I hear last week I was reading the paper the uh, the local yard goats outselling. You know, it's a double A team outselling Baltimore. Once you kind of get your thoughts and, you know, it can't be good for the game and 
you know, how, how could we improve it? What could we do to keep these teams more competitive? All right, JJ, appreciate it. Love the pod. It's a million-dollar question. There are a handful of non-competitive teams this year, Baltimore being one of them. Texas is 40 games under 500. Uh, the Pirates are an absolute embarrassment. The Diamondbacks are an absolute embarrassment. It starts with these teams spending money, for starters. Now, you're going to have some bad teams. That's the way it's going to be. Like, every sport has bad teams. But when you have these just teams that take it to another level, the whole operation needs to be considered. And if that's ownership, if that's a floor, which I've been screaming about for a long time with some of these Major League Baseball teams, something I, for one, would like to see in the next uh, collective bargaining agreement, a floor. You know, a lot of people talk about a salary cap. How about a floor making some of these bottom-of-the-barrel teams you, you can't tank to a point where you're having a $50 million payroll. It's not going to be acceptable. Need a four. Last, certainly not least, because, listen, me trying to solve these bad teams and how they're going to fix their problems, I wish, I wish I had a pixie dust magic wand for that. Although with the Orioles, I hope they continue to stink. It's good for the Yankees. Who's next? Hey, JJ, Sean from Long Island here. Listen, the weather's cooling down a little bit this weekend, so it got me really excited for the upcoming football season. I uh, sat down Saturday all day, had a five-leg parlay for the college team. Missed it by one. UConn getting their doors blown off. Never again. Didn't come close to covering the 28. But uh, felt good to lose the first few bucks of the season. Feels like a brand new day. But uh, I wanted to call you, JJ, to get your take on this. Dolphins emerging as the Deshaun Watson frontrunners. I don't think you put your take on the record yet on the pod as far as how you feel about potentially getting Watson. Um, I happen to think that if Houston made that deal, their whole franchise would be doing dances of happiness. You know, if they get anything close to what they're asking for, just want to get your take on what the asking price might be, what your interest level is. Is it three high draft picks? Is it Tua and two high draft picks? I want to just get your take on if this is really damaging Tua, you know, mentally, as far as getting benched for fifth so much last year, you know, flirting with other quarterbacks all offseason, the whole Watson thing. Is this really damaging this young quarterback? Just want to get your take on that, JJ. Thanks so much. Take care. It's a fascinating, fascinating question. And on our Spotify green room last night, this was a major topic of conversation. Let me make something perfectly clear. If Deshaun Watson is innocent of all charges, he's a top five quarterback in football. He is a sensational player. He is a game-changing type player and has been one of my favorite quarterbacks in the sport going back to his Clemson days and then watching him in the NFL for quite a while. So I am a gigantic Deshaun Watson fan. However, these looming charges are still there. They haven't gone anywhere. So the idea of me taking three first-round picks, two second-round picks, that's the so-called asking price, and giving that up two weeks before the start of the season no, that is something I would not be on board with. To me, if you're the Dolphins, and I understand there's a threat, Philadelphia swoops in, Denver or Carolina swoops in, and a different team ends up with Deshaun Watson, you are taking that risk. I get that. You have been so well run over the last few years. You've accumulated all these draft picks from the Tunsil trade and some of the other trades that you've made. You've established the culture with Brian Flores. You went from a tanking team that won five of their remaining nine games two years ago. Last year, with a tough schedule, you won 10 games and you were fighting for the playoffs going into week 17 with the rookie quarterback to boot. I like 
the process. So to me, I'm not in love right here, right now with the idea of making that sort of franchise-altering trade, especially considering Tua's had a really good camp. You got an offense that's tailor-made to his skill set. You got speed finally on the outside. Guys who can take a slant route 50, 60 yards to the house. Waddle, the return of Albert Wilson, will follow when he comes back in the fold. So I want to see Tua and what he can do with this crop of playmakers. In a perfect world, I'd push the Watson decision a year from now to see, all right, did he get his situation taken care of, number one? And number two, where are the Dolphins and where are they at with Tua? My heart says I want to see Tua be the Miami Dolphins starting quarterback. But I'm also a realist. There's a pretty good chance Tua is not going to be as good as Deshaun Watson. I think he's going to be good. Deshaun Watson is top five good. I think there's a difference. Like that's a safe, surefire bet. Assuming, of course, everything's good with the nonsense surrounding Watson at this point in time. That's what makes this element so fascinating. And, you know, I was thinking about this the other day. The reason to me a lot of this stuff is coming out right about now, I think Watson and his camp want him out of Houston ASAP. And I think if push came to shove, Deshaun Watson wants to be in Miami. They got a good coach. They got a good roster. It's a great place to live. It's a great place to play. I think Deshaun Watson wants the Miami Dolphins. So I wouldn't be surprised if his camp is kind of getting this agenda out there. Hey, make them the front runner. They've called in the past. They're interested. Bop, bop, bop. And your question about Tua and his psyche, look, the NFL is a big boy business. You got to be tough enough to handle it. Eli Manning got booed first couple of years with the New York Giants. He was tough enough to overcome that. He won two Super Bowls. Terry Bradshaw got benched. Troy Aikman got benched. I'm not one of these guys that's for coddling. It's a big boy business. There are going to be rumors out there. There's going to be stuff that's said. Rise above it. If you're good enough, if you are special enough, you're going to rise above it. Right now, I want Tua to be the quarterback this year and beyond. But I reserve the right to change my mind a year from now. Full disclosure. If in a year, Deshaun Watson is clear, free, and I'm not in love with the progress of the Dolphins, ask me that question. Right here, right now, I'm not making a move. That's my gut feel, gut instinct, not making that move. Three ones, two twos, no way. Not a week and a half before the start of the season. It's hard to believe it's the start of the season. And that means the NFL beats will be here. I love Sean saying it felt like therapeutic to lose a couple of bucks, to get it out of your system, to get it out of the way. That was me last year, week one. I took a bath. Oh, I took a beating first week of the year. We'll try not to repeat that. And I think it's only fair. Simmons brought on my boy a few days ago, the great Mike Francesa. So I'm returning the favor. Cousin Sal, up next. If you went on a road trip and you didn't stop for a Big Mac or drop a crispy fry between the car seats or use your McDonald's bag as a placemat, then that wasn't a road trip. It was just a really long drive. At participating McDonald's. So with the NFL season now a couple weeks away, I figured it would be the perfect time to welcome in Bill Simmons' old pal. He takes <laughs> my old pal, has him on the podcast on Thursday. So, Cousin Sal, I only <laughs> thought it was fair if I returned a favor and have you on the show. What's happening, buddy? Uh, how, how's your Shrebsky doing? He's killing it. 
Jashamsky's killing it. Don't worry about him. Oh, that's good. Good to hear. Good to hear. Good kid. Yeah. Real good kid. Good kid. Oh, good kid. Good kid. Good kid. Everyone's a good kid, Mike. It's a good way for Mike to not have to learn anyone's name. The kid. Correct. The, 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 you. the tight end for Atlanta. The kid. He's going to be good. He's going to be good. He's a player. So, <laughs> by the way, before we get into any of these futures, how yeah. about your show on Fox? I mean, your show is like the breeding ground now for stars. <laughs> you got a TV sitcom star in the making. You maybe have a Republican presidential candidate. I mean, <laughs> so, what's next, so what's next for you, Sal? I mean, we think an office, we think in your own show. I mean, anything's possible, buddy. Benetta is not running for president anytime soon. I don't know where you're getting that from. No, no, no. Uh, no, it's great. It's great. Yeah, you know, it's funny. Clay Travis once said that as, uh, when he sold OutKick to Fox. He said, you know what, Sal, like during a commercial break, he's like, everyone you surround yourself with does very well. Your cousin, me, uh, Bill Simmons. And I, I was like laughing it off. I was looking at my notes and Benetta got mad at him. She's like, what kind of crappy thing is that to say? I was like, oh, please. Out of all the things, at least this didn't kill anybody, th these comments. It's fine. But yeah, no, it's uh, everyone's doing great. Uh, yeah, you, you were smart to have me on. Because you should only follow suit, right? You're well, doing great as well. Well, I'm hopeful <laughs> that this segment will make a whole lot yeah. of people a whole lot of money. When do you get to the point? I know you're doing it on TV every day, and you're a degenerate, so you're looking at yeah. these lines every other minute like I am. But right. when do you feel comfortable when it comes to, like, futures and season totals and that sort of stuff? All right, I'm ready to fire these bad boys in. Just in the last two weeks. And it's funny you say that because we had this going, you know, the lines come out in March and I do guess the lines with Simmons. And I, I'm not going to lie. I've seen them a million times. I will say I did write them down in March when they came out and I adjusted a little, you know, Carson Wentz probably not playing, may not play, whatever. I'll adjust it a little as I go along. But it's impossible not to see these and everybody wants your opinion. But I do, I meticulously go through the schedule. I don't know if you do that too, John. I, mean, I go win-loss for every single team. And that's how I come up with my numbers. I think some people just say, all right, over nine, yeah. 49ers going to have over 10 and the Rams going to have over 10 and a half and, and Sarah and, you know, and Arizona is going to have over eight. And I was like, wait a minute, you're, you're giving away too many wins. You have to actually sit and do the win loss for every team for this to work out. But I'm, I'm just now confident in the last week or so with my picks. Well, I think the schedule matters and sometimes sure. it doesn't work out like the AFC East last year. I thought the NFC West was going to be a gauntlet team like yeah. the Dolphins. I thought that'd be trouble. And I think the Dolphins ended up going like three and one in the division. So sometimes it doesn't work out. But mm -hmm. the Niners, for example, I looked at their early season schedule and I know they're trying to like figure out who their quarterback is going to be. Right. But with that coach, that pedigree, talent on that roster. And then I see the schedule, Sal. That's one of my favorite ones I'm locking in right out of the gate. I think the Niners easily go over. I do. It's a tough one. You know, it's funny. Your, your buddy of mine, the parlay kid, said that too. It's like, that's just an easy schedule. I can't find losses in that schedule. But they do play against the West. I have them right at 10. I have three teams from both West divisions making the playoffs. And actually, I have three NFC West teams in the final four. So uh, let me guess, Niners, yeah, Rams, and Seahawks? I went Seahawks. I know everyone, people want to count the Seahawks out. It's a trendy pick. They got pick Wilson and them. they got Carroll. They're in games. And they you don't know lose itself. less than I 10. They don't ever lose. every well, then, year yeah. when they play on the East Coast. And right. I start thinking, oh, this line's a sucker bet. They're only a favorite by one and a half or two. Last year, I think I got to the point, they go on the East Coast, they know how to win. Disregard right. the line, they know how to win. Well, you, you kind of have to, do, don't give big points with them because they have an insane, insane number, 18 out of 23 wins decided by one score. I guess that's in the last 
uh, three or four. I mean, that, that's crazy. That's insane. That that eighteen out of twenty three. So yeah, it's a heartbreaker team, but they don't lose with Russell Wilson. Quickest uh, in nine years, he has. What does he have? 98 wins in nine years. That's the most out of any quarterback ever. But he's also been sacked more in nine years than anyone else. So that's what people are are banking on when you're shorting Seattle. But I just don't see it. Who is, in your opinion, the sexy team that everybody is talking up throughout the preseason Mm -hmm. that's going to fall flat on their face? You know, there's one every single year. The team I'm looking at, Sal, the L.A. Chargers. And I know Herbert was terrific. And I know the Chargers are getting some guys back, but I just feel like everywhere I go, everybody's like drooling all over the Chargers. The Chiefs are in that division. I think the Broncos are going to be competitive and sneaky good. I do. If they get any sense of quarterback play, I hate the old man coach because they're going to play way too much old man football for my liking. But dude, that defense plays and the Raiders will stink. But I'm not in love with the Chargers. I think they're getting a little bit too much love going into the year. They might, but if you look at the the injuries last year and how it all came together, I, and that's another team with one score game, so you can't trust them, right? In terms of like betting them week to week, good luck. But because you know fourth quarter, Herbert's gonna have to mount the drive because some idiot missed a field goal. They have all these kickers that miss field goals. Like maybe it's the holder. Have we thought it's a holder? Is it the same holder over these same years, the last five or seven years that well, it's been Anthony going on? Well, the excuse is out now. They don't have him to blame anymore. Don't have him. The 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 Staley, the coach they have, is favored to win coach of the year. A lot of pressure on him. A lot of pressure on this team. I still think they get to nine. I got a bunch of teams at nine and eight. Everyone loves the AFC. I think a couple teams get in the playoffs at nine and eight, and I have the Chargers there too. I'll tell you what. I'll give you my team. It's the Tampa Bay Bucks. I know what he's like. What, what's not to like? They signed all 22 starters back, plus Antonio Brown. I think they're the team everyone guns for. They lost five games. They're a wild card team last year. Let's not forget. Like I said, that's going to be everyone's check mark on the schedule, looking out for them. I don't even think my team, the Cowboys, beat them in week one. But at some point, Brady's 43. It's like a 38-year-old center in the NBA. Like the very next year, one of the years, he's going to show, he's going to slow down, and that's going to be that. And I think... You know, they could be 10 and uh, ten and 7. I got to get used to the number. I think I could see them at That's 10 and 7. That's going to be weird, right? Like all year yeah. thinking about like normal playoff yeah. scenarios, like 9 and 7 might get you in, 10 and right. 6. Nor- I- I'm going to be saying 10 and 6 till the cows come off. There's no it's 500. getting out of that. Yeah, there's no uh, there's no Jeff Fisher. There's no 8 and 8 anymore. So you can't Or 7 can't and 9 bullshit, basically. Right. That's right, out. Exactly. I'm sick of that 7 and 9 bullshit. Okay. Who is your sleeper team? Who is the team you have circled? Better than advertised. Better than expected. Does Sal have somebody in mind? I feel like Denver's a little too trendy in that regard. That's you know, why I'm funny. a little scared that I'm on him. I'm going to be on Simmons this week, too. And every year, I'm with Atlanta and Denver. And I, I, I ditch Denver. I can't. I just can't do it. Maybe you they'll be good. broke up with the Broncos. I, okay. I can't do it. I can't take both. That's like doing meth and uh, Molly, right? <laughs> so I, I, I chose Atlanta. I think Atlanta's going 11-6 and six or 12-5. and five. I think they're the surprise team. Uh, Matt Ryan's stats are remarkable. But pick him for like, if you have like uh, most yards for a, a passer, he's right around 45, 46, 4,900 every year. You know, maybe he's not your favorite fantasy guy because he'll stall in the red zone when you need him. But that's why Kyle Pitts, that's why he's going to help. They're one of the worst red zone teams. I get it. Their defense is a little shaky, but I like this Atlanta team. I think Justin Gage will put up just as good numbers as Julio Jones did. Kyle Pitts, Ridley, obviously, that offense is good. Mike Davis, I think they come alive, and they're at least a wild-card team. So that's my uh, that's my team. But again, I have them every year. Your team, 
in yeah. the division with the New York Giants. A lot of people <laughs> listening to this podcast are probably talking themselves into Giants plus 400 to win the division. Giants over seven or seven and a half. Sal, I think Washington's team to beat in the division. I think they're well-rounded. I, I think the defense is terrific. I know Fitzpatrick throws a lot of big interceptions, but can make the argument this is the most talented team he's played on. And I don't like your coach, and I don't like your defense. I got it. Washington, Dallas, Giants, Philly. You feeling that order or no? I think uh, you could switch the one and two. I think you got the three that's and four. Yeah, that's that's Philly's going to be bad. Well, Philly, you got Philly. I, I don't know the, the numbers here. I, I lost the stat. But any team that's got 30 to $40 million in dead cap money plays like 30% football that year. They, they just do. Giants, I don't like their offensive line. PFF has them very, very last in the league. So how do you go over six, seven games with a team that can't block and a, and a running back who runs so hard, he runs himself out of the league anyway. So you obviously think you need Barkley in there anyway to survive. So it leaves the Cowboys and the Washington team. I got to, you know, I think the Cowboys offense is the best unit in that division. People say Washington's defense. I think he got a little lucky. Chase Young is terrific. You got some nice edge rushers and, and do you know, they kept teams under 23, 24 points a game, but they also played some lousy quarterbacks. They played Andy Dalton times two. They played, you, you know, Danny Dimes, whatever. They had, they had the worst version of him. Hurts uh, in one of the games tried to lose on a Sunday night to screw over the Giants. Then you played like Mullins. Like they played some lousy quarterbacks. And now they have like the cream of the crop. If you look at their schedule, they're not really going to get a break except for when Hurts and uh, and Danny Dimes are back on the schedule. But that's why I like my Cowboys at 10-7. I'm closing my eyes. I don't love watching them on hard knocks. It's it's not entertaining to me at all. I just, we have to get through it. But uh, they're a 10-7 and seven team, I think. I need your help in setting the Simmons-Jastrzemski bet. Dolphins, Patriots, more wins 2021 because their playoff odds are basically the same. Right. The division odds are basically the same. I'm What's the over? The over-under is the same? I, I think it is. It's like nine, nine and a half. I think FanDuel had them the last time I looked at the right. same number. They might have they moved it a half, give or take. But assuming you're setting a line, Cousin Sal, more wins. Who's favored? Bills, Patriots, my Dolphins. I'm we sorry. We get minus one fifteen a pop. I want you to win. I really do. I know do. you do. Listen, America, I, America I, wants me to win. Enough of, of that team, please. I, I wanted Brady out. I wanted Belichick out. It was asking for too much last year, so Brady wins the Super Bowl. But Belichick, you know, uh, looked like a fool. I don't think it happens again. I like their pieces. I think they go ten and seven, and I think you struggle to get nine wins. I don't know. I don't know. I what, what does this say about Tua? You hear, maybe it's just rumors, but what they were offering for Deshaun Watson tells you one thing, that they're not happy and they're not satisfied and they don't fully believe in Tua. Or, or is everyone just reading into that too much? Well, I don't know where that's coming from. Is that coming from the Watson camp? Is that coming from the Dolphin camp? Yeah, and listen, I love him as a player, but with everything he's got going on, Sal, three firsts and two seconds, I can't make that deal. No, no way. way. And do it. It's not even the offseason. I'm going to do it a week and a half before the year? I mean, seriously? No, I, I can't do that. I'll make that trade a year from now if Tua plays the way he did in that Raider game. But they got him speed. He knows the offense now. They have a system that's tailor-made to his game. Let him play yeah. quarterback for the year. You took him fifth overall. Let's see if he can play. Oh, yeah. No, listen, you're not sitting him for sure. But, you know, you, what do you have? The You have the, you have the dual uh, offensive coordinators here. Does that usually work? What do you have? God saying Studsville? Here's Is what that I know. In yeah. Flores, we trust. Okay. He's given me no reason to doubt him so far. You know, he right. took a team that was tanking. They won five games. 
Right. Last year, they won 10. I got, I got to give them the benefit of the doubt for that. I've never seen this before, to be honest with you. Two offensive coordinators. I can't think of this. No, I know. It's ridiculous. I don't know what's going to work, but I guess when your quarterback had a sub-100 passer rating for the last half of the year or the last six games, they got to mix it up. Now they can shake their heads at each other, I guess. It's better than just one guy. Yeah, I, I think it's competitive. That that and uh, AFC East is definitely competitive. I don't think the Bills run away with it either. I don't, I don't see them at 13 wins, but... Uh, 10 for them, uh, 11 for them, 10 for New England, and I think I had nine for Miami. Favorite prop or over under total? I give you the board. You got to pick one. What's your fave? You know, FanDuel has an interesting one that where it's a parlay, it pays plus 250 that the Lions and Texans will both win fewer than four and a half games. I think that's such a lot. That lock. sounds too good to be true. Oh, my God. They're going to have two wins Those each going stink. into December, I think, right? Houston's probably trying to lose. They need a quarterback, right? They have, they do have the first-round pick, right? They finally have their first-round pick. If anyone's going to tank in this league, it's going to be them. Granted, they're in the AFC South, not very strong, but they play the NFC West, so there's going to be a lot of losses on that schedule. And Detroit, another team with no offensive line and with Jared Goff. And if you, th- you look at what Stafford did with that team, he had to turn the ball over. He got sacked. I, I don't even know what's going to be. I don't think I want to see an over-under on Goff. I don't know if he makes six games this year. Whole lot of checkdowns. Jared yeah. Goff in that offense. Check down mm-hmm. Charlie, baby. They For might sure. as well rename him that. At least listen, he got his millions. He's got yeah. his supermodel goal. He he's doing okay for himself now. He's just got to play for the Lions. That's, that's the only right. uh, that's <laughs> the only caveat. You got everything else handed to you in life, pal. Number one exactly. pick, beautiful girl, a lot of money, <laughs> but yeah, now to boot, you got to go play for the Lions. So. Yeah, do that to Tom Brady for God's sakes. He had all those uh, accolades too. Yeah, what are you gonna do? Okay, eighty six Mets. How fired yeah. up are you? Couple of weeks from now, I mean, listen, the Mets fan. With the way this season has gone, you're going to provide the only, only moment of joy, basically, for the month of September. So I guess you... so. Javi Baez and uh, and Lindor are not invited I to mean, this screening here. Sal, listen, uh, you know this. You're never winning a battle in New York taking on the fans. Like, what, 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 what kind of nonsense is that? I saw that earlier today. You know, I'm like, oh, they're messing around. They're fooling around, whatever. Then you read after the game, it's basically a big F you to the fans. I mean, come on. Yeah. You're never winning that No, he, de- he defended the actions by us. Actually, Lindor bums me out more because we have a decade of this guy more. And actually, we haven't even started paying him yet. We haven't paid him for his 10 years yet. Baez, forget it. He's gone. They should get rid of him anyway. He should bat ninth. Bat him after Taiwan Walker. Forget it. Good. You want to boo the fans? It's not like you're giving them money when you go 0 for 5 with 5 strikeouts. Like, these guys are paying your salary, the fans. It's not like... uh. He's taking a shot at me on Twitter or, or us for doing a free podcast. Like, no, we're paying your salary as fans. You could take it. It's not even a big overreaction, uh, I don't think. New York fans overreact. This is not one of them. Baez is hitting 210 for the team. He's, uh, you know, he's, uh, what did he, he won one for four today. Like, enough. This team's garbage. They traded, you know, they were buyers at the break. I don't get why you think you could say something like this. Now, what does this poor owner do? With a guy like Baez. I mean, forget, he's definitely well, you not can't playing resign him. The no, idea of resigning not. him yeah. would be asinine. But you think about Lindor, Sal. Yeah. I had no problem they gave him that contract. He was a stud with the Indians. Right. Now you look at it, dude. You would like to take it back because you probably save yourself at least 150 to $200 million. Yeah, it's not good. I mean, the Mets can't rebound like the Dodgers. It's good. We're going to see Dodgers-Yankees World Series and... You know, wow, Trevor Bauer. Are you trying to put well, the kibosh on Dodgers Yankees already? <laughs> I see. I see what you and Simmons are doing. Well, I, I can sense I know. it. I can sense it. We're masters at it, and it works like twenty percent of the time. But 
Bauer, you know, the Dodgers could pay $300 million or have a $300 million player just leave the roster and go off and just put off his legal uh, uh, difficulties uh, for weeks and months and months, and they could still be around in uh, October. The Mets can't do that, right? So Lindor is all smiles and no bat, and we're just going to have to eat it. And that sucks. I feel bad for Uncle Steve because he's really trying to put together something special here, but he's getting a full taste of what the Mets are like. What was your favorite part, final one, about this 86 documentary and putting it all together? You know, I have to say the Astros series. So this is September 14th, 15th. I'm sorry, I got you off course here, but it's going to be great. It's a four-parter, four hours. It could have been, we saw the 12-hour cut. I was like, leave it. I don't know what we're going to do. Like, no, we only have four hours. So uh, I love that Astros-Met series. It's so underrated and probably the greatest game of all time was that at, game uh, six with Mike Scott. Ago. Oh my, well, Mike Phenomenal. Scott looming in game seven, I should say. Mike Scott would have been game seven. And to a player, they're all like, we couldn't hit him. We, and they were throwing fits, by the way. I mean, Gary Carr, the kid is like banging his bat down. They knew he had something on the ball. They showed the balls. They were all scuffed. And the umpires were like, play on. We're just doing this here. He was a garbage pitcher for the Mets. He was a really good pitcher, but it, it really helped him out uh, in his later years with whatever junk he was putting on the ball. And the players knew it. I really, I think uh, Dykstra would have charged the mound if they had to play in game seven. He would have struck out first at bat, charged the mound, start banging on his kneecaps, and that would be the only way to get him out of that game. But that game six was phenomenal. It had 14 different ending, endings, and I almost enjoyed that more than, because I know about the Buckner play. We've seen it so many times. Uh, that was great. There's a great two-minute long shot after Mookie hits the ball through Buckner's legs. It's uh, Goodfellas-esque, the way they follow him. Uh, around first base, into the dugout, into through the clubhouse, past players who were not even on the field or in the uh, dugout watching. Keith Hernandez, there were several players who gave up. I don't want to say gave up on the team, but walked out of the dugout and just went into uh, uh, Keith Hernandez was drinking a beer in Davey's office. And he's like, no one move. There are hits in these seats. No one go anywhere. And that long shot, I'm telling you, it rivals uh, – it rivals uh, – Goodfellas and in, uh, in, in how much impact it has. It's really great. You're going to love it. You're going to love every minute of it. Well, I can't wait to watch. Um, yep. And I want to know what's on the line for Guess the Lines with you and Bill Simmons this year. Are we working on it? But do you guys put a bet down on who has the better record or is it all for Brandon? We Ryan? do. You know, people say I cheat and he beats me every year. So I I'm think we're going to do. I feel like you, you're due for a couple of wins here. I, know. I don't know who won last year, to be perfectly honest with you, but I feel he like won. you were behind the eight ball. I feel like he Simmons got, was... wins every year. I lost, and I do this for a living, for God's sakes, every day on uh, Fox Bet Live. So I don't know why I, I should be so bad at this at this point. But he beats me. I think. Um, I think the. Uh, I think he has to dress in, uh, in a Mets uniform on Hollywood Boulevard, holding a sign that something says something derogatory. Uh, if I win, no. If I win, I get three hundred eight million dollars. And we I haven't like figured the out the others. Yeah, yeah, he has to give me $300 million. And I don't think it would hurt him too much. I think No, no, okay. he'd be fine. He'd I still be on top. I think that's fair. I think that's <laughs> totally fair. Listen, always a pleasure. Don't be a stranger. Continued right, success, pal. bro. You're everywhere. I can't escape you. I see you on Twitter. I see you on the show. Now I'm going to hear you with Simmons. You're everywhere. That's the way You're it goes. You're doing a great job, kid. Keep up the good work, kid. That's great stuff from Cousin Sal. And, you know, thinking about some of these divisions, we were all over Cleveland to win the AFC North a few weeks ago. Baltimore, to me, is a completely different team without J.K. Dobbins. Dobbins is a monster. He carried it like crazy down the stretch for Lamar Jackson and company. And I think the Raven offense look much different, taking Dobbins out of the equation. Gus Edwards, no, it's a running back. I know you say, oh, they're a dime a dozen. They're replaceable. Gus Edwards is not J.K. Dobbins. Let's make that perfectly clear. 
So I'm curious to see if those odds for the AFC North are going to change and maybe even see Cleveland shift into the favorite category. Something to think about. Dallas and Tampa, I'm seeing that line locked in at seven and a half. For those of you keeping score at home, if you're wondering about the Jets and the Carolina Panthers, Carolina established as a four and a half point favorite. Now, buddy Tim and Hoboken all over the over at 43 and a half. And I'm not going to fight him on that. Uh, I think you'll have points in that game. I think Sam Darnold will have something to prove. And Carolina's defense is no great shakes. So I, I would expect points between the Jets and the Carolina Panthers. And Denver, Vic Fangio and Teddy Bridgewater installed as one and a half point favorites against the New York Giants. So that is a little precursor, a little look ahead to what we have coming up next week. And I'm not locking any NFL picks in yet when it comes to spreads. We will do that after Dallas and Tampa. The record will be what it is. We have some fun surprises in store for the start of the football season. And speaking of surprises, you know it's always a surprise when this guy joins the party. The great Jeff Money. What do you have for a Monday, my friend? What up, JJ? Jeff Money here with a handicapper picks. This is going to be from Monday the 30th. I got two games here. Money play, of course, you're going to like this one. I'm going to go with the Yankees, minus the 135 over the Angels. Will be Clubber versus Quintana. Clubber is 2-1 and one with a 3 ERA, his last three outings. Quintana has, is 0-0 oh with a 7.45 ERA, his last round. So the Yankees will be on money play in game number one, minus the 135. Game number two, I'm going to take the Milwaukee Brewers, or also minus the 135 over the Giants. It'll be Burns versus Cueto. Uh, Burns is 5-0 and oh with a 1.87 ERA on the road. And Cueto is 6-3 and three with a 3 ERA at home. Again, two plays for you. Money play, we're going to take the Yankees, minus the 135. And we're going to take the Brewers. Minus the 135. All right, JJ, I'm out of here. Let's go. Let's go, Jeff Money. And I feel like when you and I are on the same side of a Yankee game, it usually goes pretty nicely for the two of us. So I'll hop on board. I'll play the Yankees with you. And we got to get you to pronounce Corey Kluber's last name properly and correctly. Listen, I butcher names, Jeff Money, like there's no tomorrow. But Kluber, come on, Money, that's an easy one. But I'm riding with you with the Yankees. And I got two baseball plays tomorrow. Looking at the card right now, I got two baseball plays. I like the Atlanta Braves getting plus 180 against the Dodgers. Urias and Smiley, I'm getting the Braves and that lineup and the way they're cooking at plus 180. I know it's the first game of a West Coast trip, but I think they'll be ready to go. You might want to play that safe and take the Braves plus one and a half. I'm not playing it safe. I'm playing it frisky. I like the Braves plus 180. And the other game I like, and it's a nationally televised game, and you won't have a Yankee game going on at 7 o'clock. And there's no Met game going on at 7 o'clock. I like the Red Sox. Plus money against the Rays. Line's gone from 155 to 135. Like the Red Sox, plus 135. So Yankees, Braves, Red Sox. That's going to be our Monday card. I haven't given you a big Monday card in baseball in a while. Feeling frisky. Have those lines courtesy of our friends over at FanDuel Sportsbook. And my goodness, you were playing the live line with this DeChambeau Cantlay final match. Six, seven playoff holes. Incredible. Insane theater. And I love seeing Bryson miss a couple of big putts. Listen, Cantlay made every big putt known to man. Every big putt known to man. And the one that DeChambeau missed that would have won it was so like eerily similar to Friday when he was trying to break 60 and ended up missing that putt. I can't stand DeChambeau. So I was happy to see Cantlay end up winning the event. And it was fun. I mean, it was a little passive-aggressive, little trash talk between the two. You could tell they don't like one another. It was terrific, theater. 
it was a perfect day for it because you had, all right, the preseason game with the Dolphins. Nobody was playing. Who the hell cares? Met game had already finished up. I'm following suit with all the craziness going on on Twitter. And I was like, perfect. Let me get into the golf. Speaking of golf, I haven't played in like a week. I had my Vegas excursion. I got a couple of rounds out of my system. Now I got to move. So I probably won't play for another couple of days, but I'm starting to get that itch once again. I'm getting that football itch. I'm getting that golf itch. And now that I got vacation out of my system, who knows what's in store for the month of September. Amazing. I was on vacation, yet worked the entire week. And you guys were terrific. Show sounded great. Calls were absolutely great. The fellas took care of everything. Can't thank them enough. We're back on Tuesday. Think about this for a minute. We only have one, two, three shows left until NFL football starts. Because when we do our Tuesday show, that's season totals, that's divisions, playoff picks, all sorts of insanity. Enjoy your week. Crush it. Final real week of summer as far as I'm concerned. No summer ends end of September. Not in my book. Labor Day weekend, the unofficial end of summer. Don't forget about that. JJ out. Enjoy. Be good, everybody.